Welcome to the Kairos Church Podcast. We believe Jesus loves you, has called us all into his family and kingdom, and is moving through his family to his glory. Kairos Church is located in Grandview, Missouri. You can find us online at kairos-kc.org or through social media at Kairos, Kansas City. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. So Lord, I just ask you for grace for us, that you would just uh, be in our midst, that you would make us one, that we would feel you and know you more when we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so how did Jesus build community? So what I want to start with is the easy one, is the 12 apostles, right? So we all know the 12 apostles, but sometimes we overlook the simple facts of the 12 apostles. So what I mean by that is that uh, Peter and Andrew are brothers, right? So two are brothers, and imagine how many of you guys in here either have brothers or you have sisters? Raise your hand. Okay. I am an only child, so I can't relate to any of you that just raised your hand. But I can relate to my, all my friends had brothers and sisters, and I saw how they played with each other, and I knew that they knew everything about one another when they were younger. They knew their strengths, they knew their weaknesses, they knew the things they did bad, and they knew the things they did right. Okay, so just think of that, that Peter and Andrew knew each other pretty well prior to becoming apostles. The next two is James and John. They're also brothers, so they know each other very well. And then the story tells us that James and John and Peter and Andrew are business partners. So before they were called by Jesus, they each had their own boat. Peter and, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John each had their boat, but they were business partners. So if they needed to help each other out, they would, but they each you know, came together. So they had a relationship outside of becoming apostles and outside of being brothers. So how many of you in here have had a business partner before, sometime in your life? When you have business partners, you get to know each other very well, very quickly, because you will disagree on things. Hey, we should have been fishing over here today. You wanted to fish over here. We didn't catch as much because I listened to you. You know, all those different struggles are real struggles that these apostles dealt with before they got called by Jesus. And if we move on, an interesting thing is, is that Levi, you know, which is also called Matthew, and James that is mentioned, uh, church history is split on the two. Some church history believe that those two are brothers as well because they have the same father mentioned. And then other church history just say they just had the same father's name. But I just put that in there because I think it's interesting that it could go either way. So you could have another pair of brothers within the 12. And then we go to Philip. Okay, so Philip comes from the same city as Peter and Andrew. Okay, so, and it's not a city like Kansas City. We got to remember back then, they're very small cities. People knew each other. They grew up together. They, 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 were, they understood and have seen and played with each other before. And then we see Nathaniel. And it says that Nathaniel is friends of Philip. So Philip is in the same city with Andrew and Peter, and then he's friends with Philip and Nathaniel. And so that brings a whole nother dynamic. So what I'm trying to paint the picture to you guys as is that the likelihood of the majority 
of these disciples and apostles knew each other before they became apostles. They interacted with one another. They hung out together. They made money together. They played together. They ate together. Back then, the community was way more involved with feasts, you know, which we, what we would call a party. You know, they would be coming together, and it was a family event. Um, and so one of the questions we have to ask is, what was that like? What was it like when Jesus called all 12 of those apostles to follow him? What did they do? How long were they together? You know, and the general stance is, is they were probably together for about three years. So all of them are together for two, three years. They're eating together on a daily basis. They are going to weddings together with each other. They are drinking wine together. They're going to parties together. They're probably going to funerals together. They are traveling together. You know, and then sometimes when we think of Jesus and the apostles, we uh, fantasize kind of what that would be like. That we don't break it down to reality of what the day-to-day would be. Seeing them argue, seeing them have disagreements, uh, complaining about the food that they're eating, how he got more food than I got. You know, and then even to break it down even farther, do you guys know how they went to the bathroom back then? I googled it. I was shocked. Okay? Uh, So, uh, one of the things they did, I'll tell you this, because having a two-year-old in your house, you never get to go to the bathroom by yourself. Okay? Um, But... When you're a man, I don't know if this happens to women or not, when we're at stores, so say I'm at Home Depot and I'm going to the bathroom in a stall, people next to me start talking to me through the stall, and I don't know them. And I'm perplexed. A lot of times I try not to say anything. I think it's awkward. The whole whole experience of going to the bathroom next to somebody is awkward in my mind. Okay? So when I Googled what Jesus and the, the apostles probably did together, Uh, It took me to a whole nother level of seeing them, how they knew each other very, very openly. Um, One of the the pictures that they say that happened back then is if you can picture a a big square, right? And there would be holes in the bench. But the holes were so close to the next hole that you literally would be sitting here and the other person's leg would be right here going to the bathroom at the same time in a big open square. So that they poop together, Jesus poops, and that whole thing, if you want to, you know, if you Googled, does Jesus poop? I'm serious, I Googled this. There is, the old, there is theology out there that says Jesus never pooped. Seriously, in church history, that is one of the things that kept coming up because they couldn't picture God pooping. They thought it was either a sin or that it was dirty or that his body should be able to contain all the nutrients and no waste would come out because he's perfect. So with all that said, I'm bringing this up because I'm trying to tie a little bit into what Ryan preached on last week about being either religious or having thoughts that really hinder us from growing together, okay? So they bathed next to each other. They, you know, they've seen each other naked. It was an experience where it was just common back then 
But if you did that for three years, you get to grow and know somebody more than if you only saw them once a week. It was a day-to-day experience with them traveling. Another thing to think about, because we know that Peter had a wife, right? Uh, At this time, or, or around it. And one of the things I was thinking of about this story is it says that Jesus came, saw Peter in the boat, follow after me, right? So he leaves his stuff and he follows after Jesus. And then I started picturing it as a real story, okay? And I'm picturing Peter coming home to his wife and telling him, yeah, I quit my job that I've been doing my entire life, and I'm following a guy that says he's God. Imagine the talk that, that, that Peter would have with his wife in that household. Because we know now that Jesus is the Messiah and is God. Peter's wife did not know that because Peter, Jesus just came onto the scene and called Peter to follow him. And so the leap of faith of finances, right? So another thing that they shared, the apostles, they had one money bag that Judas had, and they shared finances together. Again, it's your trusting the people around you in a way that if we don't share money, I don't trust you the same as if, I, if all our money was on the table. I trust my wife. We have one bank account. She can go in there and take any money she wants out, but I trust that we have the same standards of what we're going to put our money to and what we're not going to put our money to. Another um, thing about just the apostles, before they started walking with the Lord, it seems that Peter was a pretty tough guy, right? Like he's the one that in the story has the sword. You know, Peter carried a sword, and it wasn't, in our day, it would be like somebody having a, you know, a, a gun on them, right? Like, hey, I'm ready. If, if things are going to throw down, I'm going to throw down, you know. But a lot of times, though, in the moment, when the, when the real battle comes, most people get frozen in fear, right? Peter wasn't like that. So when they come to take Jesus, Peter grabs a sword and he's swinging for the head, you know. He's not going for like a little stab in the arm. He's going for a headshot, cuts the guy's ear off, right? So I'm just saying that Peter as a fisherman was probably a very tough guy that you didn't want to mess with. And so then you put him in the same camp as I picture like uh, Levi or what we call Matthew, the tax collector. I, I take him as the brain guy, you know, really good with money, you know, maybe not as big and strong, but his authority comes from that he's able to get taxes from you. You know, and seeing how their relationship would, would come together. Jesus didn't just pick the people who already knew each other. He also picked people who have never met each other before, or you never even know. Matthew could have been taxing Peter. He could have been the guy that was taking Peter's money and robbing Peter. We don't know. But the whole story is to open up our eyes to see that there's more relationships out there, even if we don't have anything in common. Jesus is the thing in common that brings us together. So, if you want to turn, I will tell you the stories, you know, but if you like to read them yourself, I'm going to go to Luke 8, chapter 8, just for a minute. And um, so, the context of Luke chapter 8 is Jesus is inside or at a place where there's a crowd all around him, right? People cannot get to Jesus. 
it says that Jesus' brothers and his sisters and his mom are outside wanting to talk to Jesus. So the word get, gets passed up to Jesus, hey, that your mom wants to talk to you. And Jesus' response in that moment is, this is my brothers, my sisters, and my mother. And then he says, the ones who follow God are my brothers and sisters. And I was thinking about that in two ways. One, I was thinking about it, how amazing of a statement that is, is that Jesus says, all you have to do is believe in God and do his will, and you're my family, instantly. He didn't say you're my stepbrother. He didn't say you're the adopted brother. He didn't say that you're my half-brother. He said, no, you are my family. As much as my brothers and sisters on the outside that are my natural family, you're my family too because God is our Father. And then I pictured it in uh, our time. Okay, so I'm going to use my wife, who's right here, Megan. So our son Lincoln, uh, when she was pregnant, almost killed Megan. So we are literally in the ICU. She's pregnant. Her body's going septic. The doctor comes out to me and says she has a 50-50% of living or dying, and we don't know what's wrong with her. And I'm sitting there like, you know, just filled with emotions, don't know what's going on. She's incoherent. She doesn't know what's going on. And so then I, you know, luckily we find out that Lincoln is sitting on her, her urinal, whatever that word is, the thing where she pees things, and it was blocking it. And so her whole body was getting filled up with bacteria because of the way he was positioned in her belly. And so she, then she had to wear a catheter for the rest of her pregnancy because of how he was positioned. And I was thinking of Jesus. This is how I'm tying it to Jesus. Is Jesus, Mary almost died multiple times because of Jesus. You know, where the people, the, when she was born, you know, is it Herod? Comes and tries to kill them. And I'm like, the struggle that Mary had to have faced or the controversy of her being pregnant before she was married, and all the things that she felt. And then for her to hear Jesus say, who are my brothers and my mother and my sisters? You guys are that. I'm thinking of her response in the moment would be like, my, my wife's response would be like, oh, really? And then you would see her bolting up there and smacking him or tackling him down, you know. So, you know, like when, uh, for guys, you know, like when you say the phrase, like, who's your daddy? you know, and you pin your kid down, you're like, who's your daddy? You know, you're showing your strength. I'm picturing Mary inside wanting to do that to Jesus because she's like, I've done everything for you. I've taken, and then you say this, but then the story doesn't tell us clearly. He might've just said that and then he probably could have walked out there because he honors his mother. He loves Mary. He wasn't trying to put shame on her. He wasn't trying to uh, take her authority away. So I'm just saying there's so much more to these stories, but sometimes we get stuck in the thing of fantasy to where we think, well, that's one thing, but our lives are totally separate. And our lives are just as entangled as these apostles and disciples and Mary and the brothers and, and all that. It was a mess because they were human. Okay? And so if we also want to go to another story that just explains... Uh, the disciples in a way that we would be horrified now, but in the moment we would all act the same way. 
And so in Luke chapter 22, I'll tell you this story. Luke chapter 22, Jesus is telling his apostles, I am going to die. One of you at this table is going to betray me. As soon as he says that, the verse next says, they start arguing with one another, accusing one another. Well, I think it's going to be Matthew, because Matthew does this, this, and this. And then John's doing this, this, and this. No, I think it's Peter, because he's doing this. And then right after that, the very next verse, it says they start arguing amongst themselves on who's the greatest. So you went from accusing everybody, then you started pointing and saying, well, I'm better than all of you, so it's not me. I, I healed that guy. I love Jesus. You're, you're the one who's going to betray him. You know, and so that controversy happens all the time in our families, as brothers, as sisters, to where in the moment when somebody accuses us, sometimes we accuse them back of doing something that we think they're doing wrong, and we try to justify why we treated them this way. Instead of just allowing the Lord to speak into our lives and take it into our hearts without causing conflict with one another. Another one that I think is hilarious is Matthew chapter 20. See, James and John are brothers, so they're sticking. Have you ever had the friends, or maybe you guys have brothers that are just like connected that have each other's back? A couple of you, anybody? I had one friends where growing up they were brothers, and if I punched one of them, the other one was punching me, like instantly. Like if I went after him, it didn't matter if I was right and his brother was in the wrong. His brother always stood up for his other brother. And so I picture James and John like this. Because in Matthew 20, we see how they went and talked to their mom. And they said, hey mom, we really want to have authority when Jesus takes over the kingdom. Can you go talk to him and ask him if we could be on the left and the right? And so that's what happens. It says that John's mom and James' mom came up to Jesus and said, hey, when you take your kingdom, can you have my son sit at the right and the left of you? And, and he, it says that he, this, this conversation is in front of the other ten apostles. Okay? And it's probably their moms too, you know, because it, we don't know who was in there. And so Jesus' response was, well, it, it's not up to me to decide you know, basically, like my Father in heaven is chosen before time. And then the next couple of verses say, all of the ten uh, disciples were enraged with anger at John and James. It wasn't at John and James's mom, because they knew John and James were the ones who told their mom and asked their mom to do that. And then it said that uh, another one of those words instead of anger was the word um, unfair. And I was thinking about that, of how often sometimes when somebody asks for something of authority or something that is important, if they get it, other people in the room feel like, hey, that was unfair. I've done stuff. I've talked to people. I should have got that position. I should have got that friendship. I should have got that present. David should have recognized me from the stage saying, oh, he's the one who gave me the idea to do something. You know, so it's, it's that accusation that can come out even if it, in the heart, we don't know it's there. It pops up when we feel that we have been treated with unjust words. Or if somebody else is getting something that we deserve. Or we think we deserve. 
And so um, let's go to, I lost my place. So that's the first 12 apostles, right? So that's the first community um, that we see in the New Testament. The next big community that we see is after the resurrection. So after Jesus dies and rises from the dead and he goes up to heaven, we see another church emerge. And so we know that the 12 apostles are still part of that community, right? Who are the other ones that come to mind that are key figures in the community that aren't part of the 12? Marys, both Marys are there. Paul, Paul's a pretty big figure that pops up on the scene. Barnabas pops up on the scene. Timothy pops up. So number of different people. I mean, there's got to be hundreds of people who popped up into leadership, but we only know like a handful, right? One of them, though, is very interesting that I think is James. James pops up. Now, do we... Do you all know who wrote the book of James? Jesus' brother. Jesus' brother wrote the book of James. Jesus' brother didn't believe in Jesus for the majority of his life. It says that none of his family believed in him. Obviously Mary did, right? Because we know, you know, I'm talking about brothers and sisters. It says that they didn't believe in him. And I was thinking about that because James comes up out of nowhere and he's the one who's in charge of Jerusalem. If you read through the book of Acts, he is like the main guy, him and Peter. Even I think James is over Peter in some of these contexts. And he's the one giving wisdom and clarity on different decisions they have to make. And I was like, what was it that James grabbed a hold of? Through his whole life, he saw Jesus. And then he didn't recognize him as the Messiah until the, till the end. And once he did... He shifted his whole life into following after him and telling everybody about him. You know, interesting facts about James is it says uh, the theologians of, you know, when you look it up, they refer to James as camel knees. They said that he had knees like camels. And it said because he was on his knees so much in the temple that his knees got so calloused over that they looked like camel knees. And then this is another fascinating thing about James. James had a, an amazing standard, and uh, that's not the right word. Um, if you're in the community, good reputation. He had a good reputation above all men, not even Christians, that so much in the temple, because he was in the temple praying so much, that the, the leaders of Israel in Jerusalem were uh, hearing his wisdom and listening to him, and he had righteousness in his heart, and he was looking out for the poor, and it brought people to Jesus, even to the point where it says that the way James died was because he was asked to go speak before all of these Jews by the council. He went and spoke and started talking about the resurrection, and because that he was talking about it in such a way the masses were believing in him. The Pharisees started freaking out, and so they threw him off of a cliff. He didn't die. He's down there, still alive. He should have died. And so because he didn't die, they start grabbing stones, and they're chucking it at James. 
hitting him, hitting him, hitting him. And it says that he's kneeling down and praying that they would be safe. Yeah. And it just shows that the testimony of Jesus is that when we are filled with love and compassion, other people around us who don't believe will see it and they will be attracted to it and they will want to hear the wisdom that you carry. Another uh, interesting person that I think is important is Jude. Jude is also believed to be a brother of Jesus. But Jude had so much, uh, I don't know if the right word is humility or meekness, but he doesn't say that he is the brother of Jesus. He says, I'm the brother of James. You know, and we know that James is the brother of Jesus. And he also led in that kind of way. But see, James is believed to be the oldest brother that Jesus had. Because his name is first when it's listed out of the names of, of the brothers of Jesus. And so you see the literal brother following after the one brother, following after the other brother, and they're all leading people to Jesus as a team, as a family. Now, most of these leaders, in Matthew 17, is a very interesting story, and it talks about taxes. And the story goes that we all know is, you know, hey, Jesus and Peter and all the disciples show up, and one of the councilmen come and talk to Peter, hey, aren't you guys going to pay taxes? Peter says, oh, sure we are. You know, I don't know anything about it, but sure. And then he goes to Jesus, and then Jesus says, hey, Peter, go fishing. You pull up the fish, take out the coin, pay our taxes. And the way he said it was pay yours and mine. So many people believe that Peter is the only one of age that would have to pay taxes out of the group. The way you paid taxes was 20 and older. So if that's a true statement, then most of these apostles in Matthew 17, are under the age of 20. So when we think of it by Acts, so let's just say we'll add a couple years. So Peter's now 22, and he's, he's married. He's a 22-year-old married person, and everybody else now is 20. Jesus is, is, is gone, all right? So imagine the, the immaturity that goes around 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds, and the way that they came together loving Jesus to tell other people about him is a, ma a, a massive story when you start from finish to end, where you see how they died, and you go backwards and see how they started. It's amazing, because it gives us hope. Because when you look at our lives from where we started, and hopefully where we end up, it's going to be totally different. Things I believe today, I didn't believe 10 years ago. You know, even this last week, I found three verses in the Bible that I've never seen before. And I was like, Jesus, I've read this book how many times? And I've never seen this verse. So every day we're growing and growing and growing in the Lord. And our views will change. And this is the thing about community is I have to allow you to do your journey. And you have to allow me to do my journey. And so one of the things that that hits is judging each other. Don't judge me on things I believe, and I'm not going to judge you on things you believe. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, and that's where the buttons might get pushed, but we're going to end in Romans 14, and, and Paul hits that pretty hard. The fascinating scripture that I've never seen before is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. I'm going to read it to you. 
This is Paul talking. Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And so what Peter, what what Paul is saying, he's saying that the other apostles are married by now. And that the other apostles, as they're traveling and journeying with each other, they're bringing their wives with. We don't see that in the Gospels. You know, we, we, there's no point of, all I knew is that Peter had a wife. I'm like, I assume other people get wives because men and women are not attracted to each other. But it doesn't say it. But here, Paul tells us that they had women of faith that would travel with them and be a part of the journey. That it wasn't always, hey, the wife stays home and the husband goes. It somehow leads that there could have been a, a partnership where they both went out. Or maybe one stayed and one went. You know, so it's just an interesting thing of how families work. Because if we're the family of God, then we have to treat and love each other the way that happens. And one of the things that I feel that we are lacking in, that I believe the Lord is going to be moving us in this direction, is community. As Alberta said when she was up here, she said something like, uh, you know, you, you city folks, you're looking at the clock and waiting to leave as soon as it hits and we're gone. But us country folks, we'd stay there all day. When we look at church history, relationships are formed throughout the week of being with each other in a non-religious way. So when we talked about earlier, the apostles, how did they, what did they do? They went to weddings, they went to feasts, they ate with each other. They prayed together. They studied the word together. So that's how they were before the resurrection in the community. How did after the resurrection, what was the community like? And that's Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 47. I'm going to read it, and you tell me what sounds familiar um, to the apostles before, before the resurrection. All the believers were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions and share them with all, to the extent that anyone that to the extent that no one had any need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, so over and over we see that they're eating together, they're sharing together, they're praying together, and they're going house to house. You know, it's not like, hey, well, this one group's going to do this small group, this one group's going to do this. It was that they would mingle together, and they would do things apart from the Sunday morning temple time. Does that make sense? Um, one thing, when, when we start moving in that direction, we are going to poke each other uh, in what offends us, what I believe and what you believe. You know, can be totally different. And that's okay because we are different and we're on separate journeys. And just because I believe something doesn't make me right, and I could be wrong because I change my view all the time. Things I believe today, I didn't believe 10 years ago, and things I believe 10 years ago, I don't believe today. And so I wanted to give you a couple of, of examples with that. 
and then I'll get back to the scripture. So one thing that, that we do, that we judge each other even on the ordinary life stuff. So one of the things we judge each other on is TV shows. I can't believe they're watching that TV show. Oh my goodness, they need to get saved. Where is their conviction level? Yeah, right? We've all been there. Don't, you hear somebody say a TV show that you don't agree with, inside you're like, ooh, man, man, Lord, help them. Help them, Jesus. So here's a funny one. I'll tell you what. So it had been like the first two weeks that I knew Matt, maybe three weeks, you know, talking with him. Uh, so we're talking years ago. Somehow we got on TV shows, and he said that he was watching, um, the, is it Downton Abbey? And when he said it, I'm like, oh my goodness. I cannot believe you're watching that show. That show is so bad. You know, and, and that's what I'm feeling on the inside, not because I've ever seen the show. I have never watched the show. I was, my wife, watched, I think, watched the show. I, I was going to watch it, and inside, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, don't watch that. So I didn't watch that. But then I took my personal conviction with the Holy Spirit and put it on Matt, thinking, oh, man, you're the pastor and you're watching that? That is just filled with gossip. You know, you, you must entertain the spirit of gossip. That must be what this is. You know, that, that's where your mind goes if you follow why you're, you're judging somebody else and what they believe. It's because you think that they're in sin and they don't know Jesus as much as you know Jesus. I know better than you know, okay? Uh, another example that has shifted for me was uh, beer. I got saved out of being an alcoholic. And so when I got saved, I'm like, man, if you drink any alcohol, you are a sinner. There is, you should not drink alcohol. You know, and I just had this hard stance. So anytime I ran into a Christian who's, who drank alcohol, I'm like, man, you're just backsliding. You are a backslider. I will pray for you and we will cast out that demon. You know. And now, after many years of praying and seeking the Lord, I've come to the understanding that that was just religious. You know, there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. Jesus drank alcohol. The only part in Scripture says, don't be a drunkard. So it says, don't be an alcoholic to where you're so drunk and you're stumbling over yourself. And that's, that's, not, that's the sin. Me having a beer is not a sin. But if you have that personal conviction that you shouldn't drink, then you don't drink. And if I know that you have that personal conviction, then it's wrong for me to drink in front of you if it's going to cause you to sin. If the person's mature enough to say, hey man, you can drink, it ain't going to bother me, but I just know I'm not supposed to drink, then it's fine, right? And so the way you get there is by, again, community. And what happens in community or in family? Communication. You talk to one another face-to-face -face about something that's bothering you. I don't know your convictions. You know, so I can't be held to a standard of where if I'm doing something that you feel like that's wrong, but I think it's okay, and you're getting mad at me without talking to me face-to-face, -face, that's wrong. Come and talk to me. But see, the problem is, is why we don't do that is because many times throughout our life when we've talked to somebody, hey, I have a problem with this, this hurts me, that person then attacks you for bringing that up. Well, how can you be hurt that way? You know, this, you shouldn't think that way. 
You know, instead of just coming with compassion and love, say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Let me figure out what we could do differently. You know, and so we're acting out of uh, self-preservation by not bringing it up to the person that we have an issue with. Um, and then another interesting thing is, is that Jesus asks us to do things sometimes that he doesn't ask others to do. And that's the hardest part, in my mind, about conviction. Because I'm like, Jesus, if you're telling me this is wrong for me, why isn't it wrong for him? Why, is he get, why does he get to have the fun? Why am I not having the fun? You know, and so the scripture I want to take us to with that is John chapter 21. <coughs> oh, that went down the wrong pipe. All right, John chapter 21. Then uh, uh, Peter, Jesus is talking to Peter. He tells Peter, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm giving the scripture without giving the words of detail. I'm just trying to make it real. There you go. Paraphrase it. Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, you love me a lot. And the way you die, it's going to be rough. They are going to get you hard. But you'll be fine. And you'll make it through. And so Peter gets this news like, dang, man, like I wanted the easy way. I don't want to die like that. And so he sees John and he says, well, if my life's going to be, if my death's going to be painful, what about John's? And then Jesus says to Peter, he says, don't worry about John. If I want John to live until I come back, what is that to you? I'm asking and telling you to do this. You know, and that's what, how Jesus talks to us in a nice, loving way is not to worry about the other person, that he's in control, he's got it. Don't put my personal thing onto him. And the interesting thing, though, with that, John 21, is that after that story, it says that the testimony went out through them, saying that John was going to live until Jesus returned. And it says they misinterpreted what was said. You know, that's in the scripture. And I'm, I was thinking, of that, I'm like, how often do we do that? And this is the apostles talking to Jesus face to face. And they heard it one way, and Jesus said it a totally different way. And we have to give each other grace in those moments. Because we're always going to misinterpret what Jesus tells us. We are never going to get to that place until we are with him in heaven or he's on earth of when we're going to know what he means when he says something to the fullest. And so there has to be grace for, hey, I felt like Jesus said this, and then it didn't happen the way it happened. Grace. You know, we're working together. We all screw up. As long as we have the love of a family, we can fight for those times of disagreement. If we don't have love and respect and honor, we won't fight for one another. When a disagreement happens, we run away. That's where the division comes in, is when I don't respect you, or if I feel you don't respect me, then I, what's the point of me being here? And that's why I believe that the Lord wants to open our eyes more to being a family and to seeing each other the way Jesus sees us, so that I can love you the way he loves you, and so I can respect you the way he respects you, so I will fight over those different problems that come about.
Let's turn now to Romans 14. If you, I will read it, but I don't read very well. So if you don't trust me reading, then you might want to open up your Bible. Because I'm going to try to hit all of it, unless we still have plenty of time. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to open up Romans 14 to us. That this would be a scripture that you write on our hearts, that you would give us revelation on for the next 10, 20, 30 years, Lord, that we would go deeper and deeper in this word. Amen. Okay, verse four, chapter 14. Offer an open hand of fellowship to welcome every true believer even though their faith may be weak and immature. Refuse to engage in debates with them concerning nothing more than opinions. Opinions. I can't tell you how many times we argue over opinions. Another word of opinions is conviction. Hey, I'm convicted of this. You're convicted of that. Well, you're the wrong one. I'm the right one. For example... I love the examples. One believer has no problem with eating all kinds of food, but another with a weaker faith will eat only vegetables. The one who eats freely shouldn't judge and look down at the one who eats only vegetables. And the the vegetarian must not judge and look down on the one who eats everything. Remember, God has welcomed him and taken him in as a partner. So, Just to give you even more context of this, what we're talking about is meat that was sacrificed to idols. Okay, The majority of the meat that they ate back then was sacrificed to an idol before you could even buy it and purchase the meat to eat it. So there's a a sect of Christians at this moment that think that that meat is wicked, it's idolatry, it's filled with demons, you shouldn't touch it because it was offered up to demons. And then the other group saying, Dude, those demons have no power over this meat. If I eat this meat, it has nothing to do with demons or worship. I'm hungry, and I want to eat this meat. And what it says is if you eat the meat unto God, it's to God. If you eat the vegetation unto God, it's the same thing. Okay, let's continue. Verse 4. Who do you think you are to sit in judgment of someone else's household servant? His own master is the one to elevate whether he succeeds or fails. And God's servant will succeed. For God's power supports them and enables them to stand. So what he's saying is, hey, there's one master. It's Jesus. We are his servants. As a servant, I don't have the right to judge you as you being a servant. I'm not your master. He's saying there's one master. And that one master is faithful to complete what he started in each one of us. So we don't have to worry about what that person's doing right or wrong. In the same way, one person regards a certain day as as more sacred than another. And another person regards them all alike. So they're saying like, hey, you think the Sabbath is the holy day? I think they're all the same. And there's an argument about that. There, and then this, I love this verse. There is nothing wrong with having different personal convictions about such matters. For the person who observes one day as especially sacred does it to honor the Lord. And the same is true regarding what a person eats. 
The one who eats everything eats to honor the Lord because he gives thanks to God. And the one who has a special diet does it to honor the Lord. And he also gives thanks to God. No one lives, well, I'm going to skip down to verse 10. Why would you judge your brother or sisters because of their diet, despising them for what they eat or don't eat? For we each will have our turn to stand before God's judgment seat, just as it is written. And, you know, and that is one of those things, as Americans, we have to fight for. Because our culture right now is we can judge everybody about every little thing, and every little thing offends everybody. So my sandals offend somebody, then because I have shorts on offends somebody, because I have a tattoo on my hand it offends somebody, and it just gets overwhelming because we get so, we're so used to in our culture now to that everything would be offended, that we need to take the stand as the body, as a witness to the world, saying we, we're not offended with one another, that we have love and peace and joy in our midst, and we will fight for one another, and we don't break and cause division. Let's turn to uh, verse 12. Therefore, each one must answer for himself and give a personal account of his own life before God. So stop being critical and condemning of other believers, but instead determine to never deliberately, keyword, deliberately, Cause a brother or sister to stumble and fall because of your actions. I know and am convinced by personal revelation from the Lord Jesus that there is nothing wrong with eating any food. But to the one who considers it to be unclean, it is unacceptable if your brother or sister is offended because he insists on eating what you want. It is no longer love that rules your conduct. Why would why would you wound someone from whom the Messiah gave his life just as you can eat what you, just so you can eat what you want? So I'm going to stop there. That is a very powerful statement that is hard. It feels like Paul's saying one thing and then he turns the corner and says something else. He's saying that you have all liberty to eat. But if you take that liberty and eat and you know it's going to be offensive to this person, you're no longer doing it out of love. And now you are wrong. And it's because you're causing the person that Jesus died for to stumble and be in pain over. He's like, what are you thinking? You know, I can just kind of picture Paul hitting somebody up the backside of the head. Like, get that out of your thinking. It's about love. And so that's the part where we really have to walk as a community in balancing between can I walk in the freedoms that I feel are available for us? Or how do I make sure that I'm not causing my brother or my sister to get offended at me or to get offended at Jesus for just the sake of me being able to have a beer? You know, that's what it comes down to, is the choices that we make can affect other people in how they view Jesus. But we also want to bring people to revelation that some things we don't have to argue over and it's okay to have separate opinions on. And so here's an example. You know, I, I made sure I asked Matt before and he said it was fine. Because uh, me, me, Matt, Dennis, Ryan, if, you, if you're around me at all, I always have like, I always 
usually think differently than other people. And I push people's buttons even without thinking about it. And so currently, Matt and I go back and forth over this one topic. And uh, this one topic right now is cussing. I don't believe, let me be very clear, I don't believe cuss words are always wrong. I do. <laughs> I do not believe they're always sin, and that has caused a friendly debate between me and Matt. And it's a lot of fun. And we both. I'm going into it believing, like, hey, you know, I've been along the journey enough where I know I'm probably wrong, but I still think I'm right. So what I mean when I'm saying that is when I'm talking to him. I'm making sure my ears are open to listen to what the Spirit is saying. And when he gives me scripture that maybe that go the opposite way, then I'll go read it and think about it. And so that's what I mean by, hey, I think I'm right here, but I'm willing to be wrong. And so we talk back and forth. And one of my points is with cussing, just so we're all aware, is it's all about the context of the word and the the meaning you're trying to express. And so if I used the S word, I'm not going to say it, but if I used the S word and I said, you know, say me and Dennis went to barbecue and I, we walked out there, I was like, man, that was some good S word. <laughs> that word is said in a positive way. My heart is positive. I'm not trying to defile Dennis. But if I was angry and I, you know, say slammed my toe or car broke down, I said, oh, S word, sin. I said it in the wrong spirit. I'm using it out of anger and frustration. And I would consider that as a wrong word. Now, here's, here's the thing, though, that I'll throw out there. And this might poke some people. A lot of Christians have Christian cuss words. Shoot. Dang it, crap, darn, freak. You know, all these things that they say when they're angry or hurt or mad instead of a cuss word. And my point is those words are the same as those cuss words before the Lord because it's about your heart and about the context. Now, this is the tricky part. Now we'll go back. I personally try not to cuss. Not because I think that it's wrong, but because I felt the Holy Spirit just say, don't do that. So I try not to do it, but I don't judge people when they do it. And I don't think it's wrong for them to do it. It's, it's the Lord has asked me, hey, try to not say bad words out of your mouth. And I'm like, okay. And then he was like, well, those other Christian words you use, you shouldn't be saying those either in those kind of ways. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess they're the same playing field. He's like, yeah. So it's about the heart, it's about love, it's about unity. The reason I bring up cussing is because my, my hope and vision for us is if we go farther in community, that we will love each other more, that we will know each other more, and that others will see our love and will come in. And what I'm thinking of, I think it's John chapter 13, Jesus says to his disciples, they will know you by your love for one another. I believe God wants to bring people into our church, unsaved people, saved people, barely saved people, wherever their walk is with life, 
they're going to do things differently than we have done, you know, for 20 or 30 years. They can be saying cuss words. They can be doing things that we might not agree with, but it's because we have our personal convictions, and we got to make sure we don't put them on somebody else. But this is a key thing for us to know, too, is also, though, not to lose our personal convictions. So like I just said, even though I think cussing's okay in the context of what, what's being said, personally, I still feel like I should not. And so I shouldn't, even though that you are, and I need to make sure that if I'm around people who are cussing, that I don't start cussing just to kind of fit in and be cool. You know, I still need to hold my personal thing before the Lord because as Romans 14 said, I will give an account of my life before Jesus. He will judge me for every word that proceeds from my mouth, and I will give an account. All right, let's move on. Um, does anybody know what verse we're in? Uh, we'll go to 17. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink. Oh, this is good. But is in the realm of the Holy Spirit, filled with righteousness, peace, and joy, serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities, pleasing God, and earns the respect of others. So then, make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony with your relationships, eagerly seeking strength and encouraging one another. Stop ruining the work of God by insisting on your own opinions about food. You can eat anything you want, but if it's wrong to but it is wrong to deliberately cause someone to be offended over what you eat. Considering it an act of love to refrain from eating meat and drinking wine or doing anything else that would cause a fellow believer to be offended or tempted to be weakened in faith. Keep the convictions you have about these matters between yourself and God. You know, that's a key thing. He's saying you don't need to go around telling everybody your convictions. If you have a conviction, it's just between you and the Lord. My conviction is different than my wife's conviction. And early in our marriage, I thought it was my job to convict her of the things I was being convicted of that she was doing. Yeah. It was, it's a learning experience, marriage is. And, you know, the thing that corrected me was the Holy Spirit. And he said, I can do my job. You do your job. And my job as the husband is to love her, right? And so the Lord's like, it's not my job to put my convictions on her. He can do whatever he wants with her because he's faithful. I'm going to finish this. But the one who has misgivings feels miserable if he eats meat because he doubts and doesn't eat in faith. For anything we do that doesn't spring from faith is by de definition sinful. And so what that, how Paul ends that chapter is he says, if you have faith that when you're eating that meat sacrificed to idols, that there's nothing wrong with it, you're good. It's pleasing to the Lord. But if me, if I'm lacking that same faith and I'm kind of questioning it, if it's okay or not, and then I eat that meat, it's not in faith. And it's a sin. It's, it, it's, it's not producing good things inside of me. 
And so again, we want to make the choices that we're going to make because inside of our heart, we feel the Lord saying, yes, this is okay for you to do. Because there's different seasons for everything. Sometimes you could be in a season where the Lord says, hey, I don't want you to drink. And then you don't know when that's going to end. Then he, the years later, he's like, okay, you can have a couple beers now. You're fine. You can drink. And then he could take it away from you again. So the point is, is that the Lord and us, we're always on a journey together. And we need to stay away from blanket statements. Like, hey, this is always wrong. Because when we do that, we're doing what Ryan talked about last week, is we put this kind of religious thing over people saying, well, Jesus feels this way, so we have to do this, even though I don't feel that. And it's hard for me personally. This is the, the hardest chapter right now that I'm trying to walk out. And it's the part about, I, ha- I, I believe I have liberty in a lot of areas that other people don't. And I want to do those things that I'm free to do. And I'm trying to weigh the, I don't want to offend my brothers and my sisters to cause them to sin. But I want my freedom, but I can't have my freedom. And it's just, it's hard. It's a day-to-day struggle inside of me over different issues. And it's where we have to be open that we're struggling. You know, I tell Matt, I tell my wife, I tell Ryan, hey, this is hard for me to get over right now. Like, I feel like we're right, but we're wrong. You know, and my wife says this again to me all the time, less and less lately, because I've been working. Um, she says, you know, what you said was right, but it was wrong. And I'm like, what? She's like, what you just said to me was right, but it was wrong. She's like, the tone and the way you said it makes it wrong. And so right now, we have an agreement between one another. If we're talking over something, she will say, is what you just said out of love? I'm like, that instantly tells me if what I'm telling her, if I'm doing it out of pride that, hey, I'm right in this area, or if I'm doing it out of love that I want to bring her into that area. And that's a struggle. And so I would encourage you guys to take that simple phrase when you're talking to somebody, is, is what I just said out of love? If it wasn't, it doesn't matter if you were right or not, because Paul just tells us, if it's not in love, it's wrong. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, that is, I I think I'll leave you with that. I don't. But, oh, well, I'll end with this last thing. Because I want to make, this might be a poke, but I want to make sure that as we transition in this way, um, we are, you know, at the staff retreat, one of the things we talked about is community stuff. And when I mean community stuff, I'm talking about locally. Um, So before the staff um, on the retreat and the elders, I volunteered slash felt the burning desire to start doing activities. These activities that I'm wanting to do here at the church is either going to be on the weekends or throughout the week. And the point is, is for us to come together and have fun. A lot of times we're busy, and I get that. We have kids in sports. We have kids doing other things. We can't be at everything. And we have different interests in a lot of stuff. But if you come to even things you're not interested in, you still talk and communicate and grow in relationship. And one of our burning hearts as a team is that we just want to start offering times for people to come and hang out, 
play games, do different activities, and it's, it's going to be a stretch, and it's going to be a shift because we are so busy as Americans, and we live all over Kansas City. We don't live right here on this block. Um, but the point is, is if we grow strong, other people will want to come in. And it's, you know, one of the, the funny things about the Acts verse that I read about, you know, when we went through it all about, hey, they were eating together, they were worshiping together, they were doing all these things together. At the end, it says the Lord added to their number. You know, it doesn't say that the evangelists added to it or the preachers added to it. It was the community aspect of what other unbelievers were seeing happening in the church brought people in. Because right now, you know, I hang out with people outside of church. And we, I would use the term, we, I do fun things with them. And sometimes I don't think of, well, I don't know what the church would do if we did this. You know, like, would, would, would it be fun to do together? And my desire is, yes, I want to. And like an example would be, you know, and we're not planning this, I'm just throwing this out there, is like doing a float trip. Like where you go onto a river, you get on a tube, and you float down the river, and you just talk and hang out with people. You don't do, it's not where, like we're preaching the gospel, we're not talking, you know, about Jesus all the time. It's about us growing together, but Jesus is in our communication because he's inside of us. Does that make sense? But when we make this transition, it's important that we don't judge each other according to religious things. And this is what I'm going to say that might offend somebody, but it's not meant in lo- I believe it's out of love. So I'm trying to give an example. We are trying to build worship here. You know, like our worship is great. This morning was great. Other times with Chelsea is great or Amber, whoever's leading, we have good worship times. And sometimes it's easy for us to judge others saying, hey, you know, you're worshiping like this in the sanctuary. You're not really standing up or singing loud. But when you watch the football game downstairs for the Super Bowl, you were yelling and screaming. You know, and so my point is, is people express things in different ways. And to be honest, I would rather not stand or dance in worship. I want to sit or lay down. But I stand because I feel like I should stand because everybody else is standing. And if I sit, people will think that I'm not engaged. I'm more engaged when I'm sitting. I like the peacefulness. I like to lay there. I just like to soak. But others like to dance and scream and yell and shout. And I love that they like that. But we need to make sure we don't judge each other upon what you think worship is to what others think worship is. That's a good ending note. So let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, that you're the one that is the master. And we are your servants. We are your family. That you're leading us in gentleness and in self-control. Lord, I ask you for these fruits of the Spirit. That even Paul mentioned the joy and the peace, the love and the unity, that that would mark our hearts. Lord, that you would just take us deeper into friendship that you would remove walls that we've built up in our hearts with even communication with one another. Lord, that we would just enjoy each other for who you created them to be. Lord, we just declare that you are the potter and we are the clay. That you create us the way you desired us. Lord, help us respect and honor what you created. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Bless you guys. That was Pastor David Gonzalez. David has been the prophetic pastor of Kairos Church since 2019. Thank you for listening. Please support our ministries as we develop Christian community in the greater Kansas City area and beyond. You can give online through our mobile app or website, www.kairos-kc.org.